welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. He said, I know you, you know me. One thing I can tell you is you've got to be free. Come together right now over me and D and D. That's the first time that I have entered new lyrics into an existing song having to do we can make you the weird al yankovich of D parody songs that'll be fantastic maybe one of these days fans you want to hear dave make up some parody songs write in and let us know what you want to hear amish paradise That's a uh, well what would it have to be underdark paradise yeah, I don't know. Dave, we're going to need like a full four-minute set of Dungeons & Dragons song lyrics with a video. What do you got? Yeah, right? <laughs> we'll anyway, I, will, I will help with the lyrics if you can get the music. Easy enough. Maybe we'll run a contest for the listeners. You know, they can decide what songs we need to parody. If you guys want to hear that, go ahead, write it in. We're <laughs> suggestions, and I think we all agree Dave's voice could nail some of this. Absolutely. Like a lot of work. <laughs> All right. But on to why that song makes sense for this for this week's episode. Because this week we are talking about coming together with your significant other, best friends, someone in your group who doesn't necessarily want to play D&D or doesn't know they want to play D&D, isn't committed to it, but you want to teach them how to play D&D. So how do you get your, your spouse, your best friend, that other player on board where they don't hate it out of the first session? That's what we want to cover today. And this is coming right. to us today. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt. I have to okay. come clean. That was not my first choice for tonight's episode. No. My first choice that immediately came to mind and I really wrestled with it mm. was Joan Jett's I Hate Myself for Loving You. That was originally <laughs> where I was going with it, but I was like, oh, I don't think I'm telling the, I don't think I'm giving the right message here. Yeah, that's a little mixed. It'll be good for a couple of laughs, but I think it's really going to put the kibosh on some people's really hopes and dreams here, you know? Well, the real question is, what do you refer to? Is it for you refer to D&D? Yeah, exactly. There was much too much interpretation that could have happened, but, you know, I mean, I watched the video and everything. I looked up the lyrics, but I'm sorry. I just had to come clean. That's all right. You know, but that really gets to that gets to the crux of this issue, right? Because who hasn't been in a relationship where you're like, I'm spending a lot of my time playing D&D because, I mean, who doesn't spend a lot of their time playing D&D? If you're listening to this podcast, we're guessing you're spending a lot of your time playing D&D or you're wishing you were spending more of that time. That's yeah. kind of endemic among among our audience, among us. It's who we are. <laughs> Just because part and parcel with this love of role playing here. But, you know, yeah, we've all been in that situation where you're trying to teach someone who you love how to play the game with you and get them to enjoy it. And I know for me, I've missed the mark several times. Uh, we'll get into that a little more, I think, in a second. First, I want to, do, I want to just, just give credit where credit is due here, because this comes from a listener question. Dave writes in, I am trying to convince my wife to play. And I have been there. I have been there. And I think Dave might have been there. Tony sort of been there. She is somewhat shy. So the idea that people might laugh is a hindrance. Once I've overcome that concern, my next issue is that if she doesn't enjoy the first session, she will never come back to the table. What is the best way to bring a complete novice into the game? As background, I've played on and off since the 80s. My other players have started recently, but they appear hooked. So, I mean, this I've, I've tried this before. You know, you've got a group of players you're playing with. You're putting a lot of time into it. 
you want your girlfriend or your wife or, or your best friend or someone else is important to you to join the club so they can play and spend that time with you. And now there's like just so much pressure on, okay, how do I get them to come in and like the game? And I know for me personally, my wife plays with us now. She's played with us in the past. In the beginning, when my wife first started playing with us, it didn't go great. Like she kind of, <laughs> she, she went along and then she didn't, and then like we, we, she was in a campaign. Like so she went through the campaign, but like she didn't come back for seconds. She kind of, she kind of zoned out after the first one. Like this is a challenging thing to do. So what do you guys think? How, how's it come up for you and what have you done about it? Well, this is just starting for me, ironically, <laughs> because my girlfriend said, hey, this is something, this is a ball I will throw down the field. And I said, great. And before we get into this, I want to kind of talk about uh, she came over for a board game night and we were playing Call of Cthulhu and Thorne was trying to explain how the game works. And you're like, well, uh, actually, just just to put a pin in next, our readers might know we were playing, I believe, Eldritch Horror or Arkham Horror. It wasn't okay. Call of Cthulhu. It was one of the Call of Cthulhu based board, one of the board games out of Arkham, out of Fantasy Flight's Arkham Horror series. Yeah, definitely something you want to start a novice board game player on. It's something yeah. like Eldritch Horror. It's <laughs> like a self-DMing role-playing It's like a self-DMing role-playing yeah, game. It's like, it Axis, it's like Axis and Allies That's with Elder Gods. <laughs> yeah. Well, before I get to how, how much she uh, did or did not enjoy that game. So Thorne's like, yeah, well, you know, you, you've read some stuff by H.P. Lovecraft, right? And she's like, no. And she's like, well, you saw The Evil Dead, right? You know, the Necronomicon, right? And she's like, no. And then he did like four more. He's like, nah, nope, okay. never heard of this. A show goth, no idea. No, great <laughs> old ones. Who are they in a retirement home? Like that is just out of her wheelhouse. That's just not. She did not enjoy those things or wasn't exposed to them growing up. So then she's playing the game and she's like, wow, I'm like an hour into this. Like, what is going on? Like, we're exploring <laughs> houses. We're trying to close dimensional portals. All this stuff. Like, like, like who's Haster? You know, like, there was, um, it was definitely a tough time for a first-time gamer. And I look at that and go, yikes. D&D's, like, 11 times more complicated. But that's the beauty. It's also not. Because... And that's where that's where I'll go with this, because I've I've recently, as I've talked about, uh, introduced several brand new players to D&D with the Frostmaiden campaign that we're running. Some of Bonnie's girlfriends. Now, I did not have this problem with Bonnie. She jumped into game night right off the bat and was into it. We started with board games and such. She was super into that. Chris at one point went, oh, we should try D&D. You'd be really good at that. We've talked about this and, uh, you know, bring it back from when we were kids. And I said, all right. So I ran it. And Bonnie was, came the first night, and she was already dressed like her character. So, you know, I haven't had a problem in this way, right? But she's in terms of, she's yeah. into it. She, she's into it. Just a tad. Just a tad. But with new players, the beauty of this is, as opposed to a board game, especially something like Eldritch Horror or anything else, there's not as much responsibility on the player side, at least in the beginning, depending on how good a DM is and how much they're willing to work a little bit. Because... You're the one controlling the action. The, all they really have to do is say, I want to do this. And you figure out a way to make that happen. So I would say it's it's a, it's complicated. I understand what you mean, if, especially if you try to teach them. But if you teach them through the act of playing, I think it becomes less complicated because it becomes a little more intuitive. That's what I've found. I would also say you have more control over what aspects you're trying to teach them. Mm. Like, and that's a big deal. We'll, I think we'll get into that a little more. I also want to caveat, like, <laughs> I've taught a lot of people how to play a lot of games. 
<laughs> I was yeah. the guy in college teaching people to play D&D. I worked at Inquest teaching people how to play Magic Gathering on the showroom floor at big conventions. Like, I've taught all of us how to play Arkham Horror and Elder's Horror. Like, I've done this before, and it just isn't clicking. So hopefully the D&D goes a bit better. But, like, it's not like this isn't something like I – it's not like I've never trained new players. Yeah. Like, I've done that a lot over yeah, time. absolutely. So it might just be that maybe simplifying things is going to really help here. Yeah, that, that might be the deal. I will say – now, I mentioned my wife. You know, when my wife first got involved, like, like, we had a good campaign, and she had some interesting things – but she never really got into it and learned her character. And part of the reason for that was she came into the game and she loves magic. She loves elves. She loves fairies. She loves dragons. So she comes in in second edition to play an elf magic user. And she never really learned how to use her spells. And she wasn't interested <laughs> in picking spells. And like I gave her a pet dragon, but it's kind of like, I mean, she, I mean, so the, the, the dragon is an NPC. So I'm running that. But like, she never really got into the mechanical side of things. And we did an episode earlier on in our run last year where we talked about the, uh, the best classes to introduce new players to. Mm. And some some of our and, and we basically said in that don't start them necessarily with magic users, especially not wizards, where they got to learn a lot of different spells and make choices. New players, you tend to want to start them more with like a barbarian because it's easy to learn a barbarian. You roll a die and you hit things. And that was that that lesson came from that experience with her and some other players we've had who came in wanting to play rangers in fifth edition and never and weren't able to pick up the spells and weren't able to pick up how that how that mechanically complicated class plays. So we got some pushback on that. I remember on that article and on that podcast because people were saying, oh, they're missing out on the best stuff. Well, what I had found was people who aren't necessarily really committed to learning the game from the outset have a hard time because they don't really they're not going to spend the time studying what their spells do. They don't want to do that. So one of the things you can do here, and one of the things we did when Shannon came back into the Shannon's my wife, when Shannon came back into the game, was give her an easier class she didn't have to do a lot of studying for. And I think that's kind of how the DM can control how complicated it's just going to be for the player. Because it was hard to teach my wife how to choose and cast and prepare wizard spells in second level. And it still would have been hard in fifth in, I mean in second in second edition. It still would have been hard in fifth edition. It was easy to tell her you're a barbarian, remember to rage at the start of the turn and make two attack rolls. Like that's easy. That's not hard if she knows how to read a D20. So I think where you guide them has a big impact on how complicated this learning experience is. So when I'm going through these things and I'm trying to teach her, you know, where do we begin? I found one of the more challenging aspects is where are our real points of reference? And that was kind of what I was getting to previously. For example, like Thorne had said, you know, a couple like, you know, a couple weeks ago, he's like, hey, what if we're in a situation and a village is being attacked by goblins? And she's like, OK, great. And she asked me, she's like, so what do these goblins look like? And I'm finding her goblin art. And she's like, hmm, like, are we talking like, you know, dark crystal monsters? Are we, you know, like, we're we talking gremlins, like, 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 what, a slimer from Ghostbusters? People have all these different conceptions of what these, these creatures, these monsters look like. And then the terminology is, well, it's foreign. You're explaining ability scores. You're explaining why proficiencies are valuable. You're explaining that you're level one hit points, armor class, where all these come from, and things that we can do backwards underwater, because we've been doing it since we've been teens, is now an entirely new concept. Mm. So 
Yeah. Like, you got to lay that foundation down. Uh, we did some mock combats back and forth. It was a real moment where, like, you know, she was fighting the zombie, and the zombie went down, but made it save and got back up. And she's like, what the hell is this bullshit? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's got a power. It's like, who says? I'm like, it's in its write-up. I say, yeah. I'm the DM. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, I, I will caveat that. I think you should probably leave some of that, that hard aggro DM-ness, like, off to the side for that first game <laughs> with a new player. All right. But that is a great point, Tony, is so back in the day, now I get to use it. Mm-hmm. Who was playing D&D, right? It was all the nerds, right, who loved things like Lord of the Rings and Conan and stuff like that. It wasn't generally pocket mainstream. protector. It, right. It wasn't mainstream. So I have never point, worn a pocket protector. Let the record show that. I never I that marked. I've never worn I a never pocket protector. Been. I was never worried about ink staining my shirt. Right. I mean, I wore ripped jeans. Like, I didn't, anyway. But those points of reference is important. And that's where why I think the hobby was so fringe at that time, because it only called to a certain type of personality, even though other personalities would have really liked it if they got involved. But they had no point of reference. These days, you have tons and tons and tons of frames of reference of fantasy. I mean, it's huge now, fantasy and sci-fi and superheroes and things like that. So you can, people can at least understand it in that way. But I will say, in the Frostbane campaign, when I started, we did the Session Zero, we created characters. And that was a way that I kind of helped teach them the game as they're creating the characters, which we went into a little bit several weeks back. I God, God knows how long now. But regardless... I was blown away when I was explaining that a halfling is kind of like a hobbit. And they went, what's a hobbit? And I went, oh, shit. You had never seen Lord of the Rings. You've never seen Game of Thrones. You've never, you're not into that stuff. Okay, so how do I approach this, right? I but mean, Return of the King did win Best Picture at the Oscars. Hey, like, hey, I know, I know. But, then, you know, some people just don't really dig, you know, it's uh, like the Marvel films. Some people are just like, yeah, I haven't watched them, you know. But the point of reference is good. So if you can find something that the person is into, it gives you an entrance into what are they might be looking for in setting, in the world, in the types of adventures that might happen, that type of thing. One thing that jumps out at me, Tony, you're describing kind of teaching her how to play. It's kind of teaching her like proficiencies and skills. I would tend to, teaching a new player like that. Throw that away. Well, not exactly throw it away. Some choices, but you don't get into the details. Right. You know, because you're going to give you because what you want to come out with, because I think what you want to do when you're teaching a new player, you want to come out with a sheet they can use that feels like the character they want to play. But you tell them where to find your role. Basically, you know, like, so maybe like, it's like, okay, you let them roll the 46s, you guide them where to put them. I mean, that's kind of the tricky part to even do that. Cause that is a confusing thing. If you don't know how to play D and D, you know, maybe you really want to start off with like, just, okay, just what kind of fantasy creature do you want to be? Just go from there mm-hmm. and fill that stuff in for them. And maybe ask the question like, okay, do you want to be better at dancing or lifting stuff up or in wrestling? You know, like, what do you want this guy to be better at? And fill in from there and just tell them what to roll and explain it as you play. And as I've said, too, and we've gone for the back and forth of this, uh, and I definitely am not a big, huge fan of it, but there is some benefit to it. There is an an argument to be made that depending on who you're playing with, maybe a pre-gen, find out what they like 
And then even if it's something like Sorcerer or Warlock or a Cleric or something, because all the people at the new table that I was running all wanted to play Spellcasters. The only one that didn't was Bonnie, who's a more experienced player. She plays Barbarian, right? So all the rest of them, I got Cleric, I got Sorcerer, I got Druid. I mean, try to explain what happens with a Druid for first player, for first level to a brand new player. In the end, though, what I found was they still enjoyed because they still just went, I want to do this. And I said, OK, roll me this and add that. You know? Yeah. Well, when you say what fantasy thing she wants to be, she wants to be a vampire. And I'm like, All right. that can be done. I can run that. I can run that. Yeah, there's I am I am that. Uh, I am uniquely uh, positioned currently <laughs> to run a vampire a PC. Bonnie <laughs> has been dying for you to run a vampire game, hasn't she? No, she's been she wanting to be a ghost. No, she wanted to play a ghost in the one uh, uh, that West Marches game that I tried to run with. Could be thing. neat. I yeah. saw pointed out today, ghosts are only resistant to physical damage, so she's still damageable. Right, right. Also, with something like that, it would be fun because, in a way, like, once your hit points are gone, like, you're gone because that's your only tether to the mortal realm. So that would be fun. <laughs> and turn undead. So I get a cleric in the party. Like, you're fucked. <laughs> Fuck, you're going to be running away. Like, dude, why do you keep pushing me out of the room, you know? So, so I'm curious. Does does uh, Tony, does she want to run a like a modern day vampire or like a fantasy vampire? No, she would run a uh, period piece vampire to fit in the party. But you know, some problems may occur, such as traveling during the day. You know, things that might come up. You need the, you need to give the party a cart, and the party has to take care of. All right. Vampire. So taking that right off the bat, you get a sense of what the person is into. So our fr our point of reference, which is great. Vampire. Okay. What would be super cool would be to run a short adventure. And I want to get into this later as to how you might want to approach that first game. But run that first adventure as an all-monster party. That was, I'd be down for run that. The, I was just thinking wacky, about you, Not necessarily yeah. evil, but this wacky, chaotic Misunderstood. band of <laughs> monsters, right? And they're on the other side. It makes me think of the Pathfinder module where they took the first thing of Rise of the Rune Lords, which was their big adventure path, but they did a whole Weeby Goblins arc where they were the goblins that had invaded Sandpoint and you're playing them and you have a whole like backstory and, and all of this. So again, I, I would say it with people who are new to it, work with them, see what they're into and then try to craft something in that. A one shot or even just a multi night thing. Not don't build a freaking campaign. The, the tricky part, game. yeah. The, the tricky part here is I think what Tony was also saying earlier, which is that you know so 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 this is a player and perhaps many significant others are players would be players if they enjoy it. They yeah. may not have that frame of reference. That is a tougher thing to work around because a lot of D and D, a lot of the appeal of D and D is playing out the adventures you've read but creating your own adventure so if that's not something you're reading figuring out exactly what's going to feel good for them to do is a little tricky i will come back to saying playing a barbarian and killing things always feels good like, <laughs> there is see, something about it there's something you. i, I will just... say what see for the dazzler which is shannon <laughs> which is my wife's character she is patterned she's a barbarian half barbarian halfling, halfling patterned on the mother from the goldbergs who loves shiny things which is one hilarious character and it's great. Right. 
And every, when she kills two or three monsters, she feels good about playing. She had a good time. Yeah. So like, like, <laughs> that's kind of, like, like that's kind of what makes it fun, right? Because we started like so when Shannon, even this time, so Shannon knows how to play D and D to an extent. Not that she remembers real well, but she had been exposed before. But when we sat down to play Fifth Edition, it wasn't even so much, you know, you want to play a fairy or this or that. It was like she wanted to play. Sifa the Dazzler, a, barbar a barbarian who likes shiny objects. That's the concept. From there, we built the concept. She wanted to play a, a halfling. Great. She's got to deal with that whole, you know, has to use battle axe instead of great axe. No big deal. And then as we went on, the, the character kind of turned into, she likes the Goldbergs. So it turned into the mother from the Goldbergs. And that whole thing became something that was fun from the point of view of stuff she likes. You know, and yeah. it's not all fantasy stuff. It's all it's it's stuff from the sitcom she likes to watch. And I think that's kind of key, you know, well, letting them own it from that point of view where it's not just kind of well, what fantasy novel do you like, but just what kind of fun thing do you enjoy? What exact what if, what fantasy novel did the wrestler Hulk Hogan come out of? Exactly. Great. I mean, we're talking a guy who's played 30 years and he doesn't, you know, Tony didn't bring a fantasy character. He brought his fantasy, which was to play fucking Hulk Hogan. Right. And that's a great fantasy. Right. Well, I mean, you know, on paper, you're like this character is going to be very serious and very dramatic. And that lasts about a game and a half. It's like, no, no, he's not. He wants to body slam uh, the werewolf through the table and then uh, jump off of the building and give an elbow smash. Yeah, everybody he... thinks they want to play the Fellowship of the Ring. They don't want to play the Fellowship. They don't. They want to play Maybe. Monty Python. They want to play Guardians of the Galaxy. They want to play that. You know, no. They, they, they want to play the Good Parks version of Fellowship of the Ring with a lot more comedy. The Good Parks version, yeah. But I will say, since a lot of this, though, is because – there's a great example. I have uh, a lot of my good friends in in the music industry and things like that. I would love to get involved in playing because, one, I think they would have a great time. Two, I think just in terms of, of fan bases and stuff, there's so there's so much overlay. But again, they're on that. You know, we all grew up together in the same time. So they're still in that. Oh, it's this weird fringe thing. And that's really in the end, because most people will sit down and play any game, watch a movie, whatever, uh, go to a different bar or club. But D&D &D and other RPGs, there's something about it that freaks people out. And a lot of times it's the same people that would enjoy it. So that's the really in the end, I think the biggest hurdle itself is demystifying some of what this is in a way. If you don't want to play a weird fringe game, are you really rock and roll? <laughs> right. What's more Isn't that the brand? than that? What's this more is a, look, let's face it. Minus the dice, this is exactly how Alice Cooper got started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally, this is just Led Zeppelin 1 through 4. Now, yes. It's exactly. a giant D&D game. I mean, come it's on. It's just a set of like music. That. Instead of music, it's group storytelling. Otherwise, same. Right, well, actually, that, which gives me a little inspiration, because, like, say you wanted to get them involved. What if you started not from the point of view of what kind of like elf or like what kind of fantasy character do you want to play, but more like what kind of glam rocker do you want to play? And then you help them fit it into a character class and race. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know, I want to play Alice Cooper. Okay. You're playing an old elf and he's probably a warlock. And then you just kind of fill in, you just tell them what they can yeah. do. And you kind of build out the character they want. Because that is sort of what we did with Sifa a little bit. Like, you know, she kind of knew what she wanted. And then from there, it was just kind of helping her realize the idea of the character through the mechanics, not making her learn a lot of mechanics. So it sounds like what we're trying to say here is that any point of reference that the character draws on 
that inspires him to play is on the table. I think so. Like we talked to Jen some about kind of like her favorite kind of like TV shows and stuff. I don't know who she would want to play from that. Usually like, I know which like with like Shannon, for example, she's going to want to play someone funny. She's not going to necessarily want to like recreate someone from a drama, but like if there's someone like that, she's going to have fun playing. You can just say, okay, you can kind of take that character and start with and help her stat it out and make the character. But really from like that high level role playing point of view and you help guide her into the right mechanics and then you just explain the mechanics as you play. In the so same she's not way, learning yeah. mechanics first, she's learning character first and she's learning role playing, which is the other hurdle, right? Because you got like learning role playing is a whole different set of skills you got to learn. Well, you know, questions really came up that, you know, she's like, well, how do you do all these things? And I said, well, hmm. what do you mean? She's like, is this a board game? Is this a minis game? And I'm like, well, a little bit of each, you know. Uh, she and had, also had, none of them. Yeah, <laughs> but without any real upfront exposure to that, I did show her a video. I showed her one of the Pete Holmes video when he uh, he got his mutton, and she's like, "Is Dave gonna talk in the funny voice? Because I will not be able to contain myself." I'm like, "No, go ahead and laugh. It's fine." He's going to talk in the funny the voice, point and the is point to, is not the to contain point yourself. Is to laugh. That's the point. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't. People don't get that. But I will say that is a good point that I wanted to get to, to Tony. It makes me think of this is the role playing aspect. And Dave P gets into this in the letter uh, in terms of like the, you know, they want, don't want to be laughed at. They don't want to be in the spotlight. And we've talked about this a lot in terms of different types of players. And some people play for 10 years and you better not shine a fucking spotlight on them. <laughs> or, it, or it better be like a real quick over like I'm in the prison yard and I'm just swiping <laughs> the spotlight back and forth. Right. But one good thing that can really help. I'm going to kick back because this is the most recent for me. Uh, and I had I mean, literally the most novice players you could think of with Frostmaiden is I have the ringer in there of Bonnie. Right. So she's the linchpin. She's kind of the secret weapon. And I think that's very helpful if you're doing, if you're introducing a friend or family or loved one to the game who hasn't really played it is don't do, I would, I would seriously shy away from a one-on-one -on -one adventure. Uh, I would shy away from, you know, just doing it with the wife and kids kind of thing. If it, they're all brand new to it, if they're not into gaming already, I would get a group together. I would get a group of your friends who do some role playing, maybe some who have wanted to and say, hey, whenever you're running a new game, please let me know. And your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, SO, whatever. And then they can better see because now they have insulation because other people are going to jump in. And then it doesn't matter if they get steamrolled a little bit because they might be OK with that for that first game. Right. Because then the spotlight is not completely on them, but have a table of people that they can see what's happening. I think personally, that's one of the great strengths of a lot of what's happening with the live streaming stuff right now mm -hmm. is it is pulled back the curtain on what is D&D &D and any other role playing game. And people see, oh, it's that. Oh, I could do that. Or, wow, that looks actually kind of fun. Or, yeah. oh, yeah, no, I exactly was right. It's nerds in a basement. Whatever, right? But they it almost least, never is. They almost right. always look cool. So it's like, right. oh, that does look but, cool. I but they that. see, right. But they see and they're like, oh, that's actually kind of funny or interesting or exciting or whatever it might be. So uh, that's even a possibility. Um, I, one of my new players in the Frostman campaign actually started asking me about 
these shows that are out there and stuff like that. And I said, oh, yeah, you, you know, we went through a bunch of things. She started taking down some names because she's started to want to, I think, see, OK, this is fun. What else is there? Like, what else, what else can I get into? And what else can I do? Yeah, exactly. Like, is anything off the table? Right. And that actually brings me back to how there's something I've gotten away from with fifth edition that I used to do in second edition. And it really helps me teach the game. And if I were trying to teach a game to someone totally new, I would kind of want to get back to it. Like when we got the Woodstock Wanderers together, there were several players who were totally new. And I yeah. didn't do it this way. We taught it more mechanically, but I used to do this. I would sit down at the table and be like, what do you want to do? Because you can do literally anything. I'm going to tell you how it works out. So I would play one-on-one, -on -one, which, Dave, your advice is good. I'm not, not saying yeah, group, no. because a group game is different. But, like, I would sit down with someone who didn't know how to play one-on-one. -on -one. I even did this with, like, a guy I used to work with when I was when I lived over in Holland, a business person I used to work with. And I'd be like, okay, so here's your characters. What do you want to play? And i kind of help him make the character. i have him roll the dice, but just because dice are fun to roll. I fit it in. I tell him where he should probably go. We make the character. And then it's, okay, what do you want to do? Because you can do literally everything. Now, second edition, I'm playing entirely theater of the mind. But I'm getting it away from how do you want to use your powers and getting it into the you are in an open world where you can do whatever you think this character wants to do. Let me know what you want to do. I'm going to tell you what to roll to make it happen. And then we're going to talk and then I'll tell you what, what happens. Like I, you, It's kind of real classic, like just the very most basic version of role play. Yeah. The player tells you what you're doing, what they're doing. You tell them how it works out. Use the dice to adjudicate success and failure. And that kind of thing is very easy to learn. If they're into that at all, if they're into improv at all or acting or storytelling, that's very easy to learn. And then you guide them around the mechanics until they kind of pick that up. That to me is like a, a good way to onboard someone like this, where if they're going to like it at all, that gives them the chance to like it. The more you can get it away from, okay, so you got to know this power knocks someone back 15 feet and this power does fire damage. And you got to pick which of these powers you want to use. That's hard, I think, for a new player to learn. I want to do whatever I want to do. That's easy. That uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I do like Dave's idea of putting together a group, but then there is also that concern that we talked about in the beginning of then you have the spotlight on you. I had a guy who played with us and with me for years and years, very similar to Dave. He wanted to have the best initiative, the highest damage, the most hit points, the baddest ass weapons, but don't ask me to like directly be have to do something. Like he, <laughs> it was bizarre. Like there's times where this character, this player as a character would come up and come up with this great idea, but don't call him out and be like, hey, what do you got for here? And they'd be like, what, why are you asking me? I'm back in the corner biting my <laughs> fingernails. You know? Yeah, and this is, I mean, that goes back to what, We've said this on many occasions, and I think it's important. The way I would run something like this, if you are introducing, I would, Thorn, you're absolutely right, because uh, you've done it multiple times, uh, teaching people one-on-one, -on -one, and people do it all the time. Hell, during the pandemic shutdown, yeah, that's why Hasbro's sales went through the damn roof, because every family in creation started buying the player's handbook, right? You go that and, far through the roof. I've stopped. And started, and started <laughs> playing. Right? But I'm saying a lot of people started playing during that time, looking into RPGs, that kind of stuff, right? Watsy went through the roof. Hasbro still doesn't recover from Toys R Us, <laughs> just for the record. Not that I'm bitter. Not that I'm bitter at all. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. Uh, but I like Kitty City personally. But <laughs> Oh, wow. How, how, how about some KB toys, eh? <laughs> used to find good box sets back in the back of KB Toys for like $4, like in the clearance bin. So I got all my Mastara stuff. So I would definitely start with 
I would have a group together and I would start right from the very beginning. I would start with rolling out characters because if people are going to love this game, one of the things they're going to love about it is rolling dice. There's something about rolling dice. I'm sorry. That's why craps exists. That's why Yahtzee's a big game. That's why almost every board game out there has some level of dice. People like rolling dice. I don't know. Whatever it is. Clickety clack math rocks, right? <laughs> so, but I would have them start building the characters there. Everybody. And that includes your experienced players, too. I'd have them all there and I would make it, I would try to make it part of the adventure almost, like almost introducing their characters as they're building them kind of thing. Mm. And then have a very short adventure that you have to do. Well, like we've talked about with Session Zero stuff, have this very short adventure that is maybe you get into the very beginning of it that night and then you get together one more time and the adventure will be done. Don't go and try to be like, I have to get my my wife or husband into this and I'm going to plan out this 20 level campaign that the world is ending and they have to save them. Like, no, get through one adventure. That's fun. Click on the points that you think they're going to like. Are they going to like dungeon delving? Are they going to like mystery stuff? Are they going to want to play a vampire? Whatever. And build a little bit around that. Let them have some fun in the game or not. And then go from there, right? Going from there is the easy part. But just set it up in a real easy fashion, in a very fun fashion, the way you would do any other game night. Do you think building characters is the place to start? Because that is actually, I don't necessarily, in my experience, it's a, it's, a, it's a good spot to lose new players in the weeds. That's why kind of like in the way I was describing, I kind of minimize character creation beyond the role playing concept. And then the rest I try to make really tight and really simple. And could I you do that. Could you do that more? So we talk, people have talked about this a lot with the OSR stuff, mm. is that characters you can build in literally like three minutes, where, you know, a 5e character probably takes you 20 minutes or so. With 2e, like, was it slightly more simplified in a way, at least in the beginning, no. that you could in do it no kind of way. quickly? No, no way. No way. <laughs> really sketchy. Bro. I would actually say 5th edition has probably the most streamlined character creation of anything since basic. Because they've really tried hard to parcel th choices out, so you're not making a ton of choices in the beginning, but you're making enough that it's still thinking to turn new players off. So second edition, like I mean, if you're making, even if you're making a fighter, your your weapons and your weapons and equipment decisions become really tough. Like not tough, but they're 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 intricate. Your proficiencies, if you're playing with that, which we always did, were intricate. So and I guess that's kind of where that comes from, actually, yeah. because the thing is, what I would do is I wouldn't put it in front of them and say you make these choices. I'd ask them, tell me who you want to play. And that can be from any point of view. Like, they can just describe me to me the kind of character they want to play, or if they know wizards and witches and warlocks, they can say, I want to play a thing like this. And then I would help build the character. I'd let them roll the attributes, but I would tell them where to put things. And I would help guide them into the character class and the choices that help them create that character. So they're coming with a concept. I help them make the concept, and I try to make it quick for them so they're not getting lost in that kind of character creation. I'm not going to make a lot of choices they don't know. Because that is one of the big turnoffs of D&D. You're making me make choices when I don't know what the consequences are. And that's not one of the harder things to learn for a new player, I think. And one of the harder things to, not just to learn, but it's not fun. No one likes to get locked into a choice that they don't know what it's going to mean down the road. They might make a wrong choice. Like, no one likes the risk of making a wrong choice. So if you can have them start with a concept and kind of hand wave some stuff and, and help them make the concept, you, I think you can wind up in a better spot than you're making, if you're making someone who doesn't really, isn't a gamer. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking more yeah. 
people who aren't who don't understand how to make a character be- to begin with. Because like, if you played Skyrim, you know how to you you can probably make a D and D character. But if you've never played anything like that and you've never seen the Lord of the Rings, it's a different thing. So I would probably try to make a lot of the choices for them to get them out of that potentially negative experience of, well, I don't know what to choose because I don't know what the consequences are and try to help them build who they want and then get them playing quickly. And you play through like a one night session and then see yeah. if they I mean, at the same time, you've got a point, Dave, that rolling the dice, clickety clackety math rocks. If they don't like that. Well, that is kind of an indication this game maybe isn't for you. Like I, I found before, right, when we talked about pre-gens versus, versus rolling out characters and yeah, the fastness of the you guys were playing eldritch horror right one of the cool things with that is you have all the little dossiers of the different characters and it's a little you know you have a couple proficiencies you have your little background you have what you're good at and you have your little art piece and you know you kind of go through and oh i want to play this guy you know don't play the cop though he sucks because i got i pretty much spent my whole time in one fucking city (laughs) (laughs) but but regardless but there is something to be said so Again, I think this very much goes to what's the situation, who's playing, all of that kind of stuff. If you're introducing it like any other game night, like instead of playing the game of life tonight, we're going to play D&D. Then you might want to go with some pregens. Have a couple out there that are the rando every class. And who do you want to be? And have them name the person and let's go. Okay, here you're on the road to adventure kind of thing. You know, they're... If that's the way your table, if that's where you're feeling, go with that. Tony. I had a uh, a player who was very experienced. They've been around a long time, always played. I was in multiple games with them, and he was also pretty kick-ass with no understatement whatsoever. And he could not make a character sheet. No shit. <laughs> this guy had at least, at least a decade of D&D gaming under his belt. I had played with him not straight through this time, but he was playing and when it was time to start a character, she'd put it in front of me like, all right, so what? What? this is what I want. And I would do it up for him. And that's how that would roll. But that was Perfect just out, of his, I was out of his wheelhouse. But when you're also back to one of the thorns of the points, when we're talking about what they're going to do in consequences and everything, I've already had my first alignment dis- uh, discussion slash argument with my girlfriend because she's like, uh, dude, this- no. In this situation, you know, I'm chaotic good. It says my moral compass. I'm like, well, you're a good character, and you fleeing a village that's being attacked by goblins because you don't care that they're being eaten. Tony, what are you doing? You never bring up a line <laughs> with a brand new person. What the hell are we're, you doing? We're trying to get You don't a, bring up alignment with, ex, with people who have been playing for 20 years. You sure as hell don't do it with a brand new person. I was looking for, like, good. You're good. You're neutral. You're bad. I mean, you're I, I wasn't taking a hunting for little... rabbits, and you're stomping through the woods, banging on a... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get she doesn't want to be Captain America. That was not the vibe she wanted. But like, you know, uh, villages being attacked and grandma's being eaten by goblins. Like, ah, I don't know these people. And you leave. I don't know. I really feel that's super good. I hey, like, man, that's, oh, no. Oh, that, no. She, she tried on one of Tony's pain points as a DM, the character who won't stop to save people. You got to think outside the box, I think. <laughs> well, see, but that's that's where some of that comes into play. And maybe that's how she became a vampire and goes back and murders these people. I mean, I don't know. That could be. That's a whole other – that's a that's an adventure, too. It's just – it's it's different. My um, concern with vampirism is that it would probably hinder a lot of the stuff she wanted to do more than the benefits with a template. But go ahead. But that's one of the things that is helpful, I think, uh, having 
if you can, having some ringers involved. So having some of your experienced gaming friends there uh, because they will start doing things and people don't want to be left out. So people will start, they might still want to, you know, retreat or they might want to say, screw the villagers, I'm going to go in their house and ransack. But hey, that's fine. It's your turn. What do you want to do? I mean, I go back to this isn't a new player, but the Slaver's Bay campaign. Uh, Kevin's character, Swiper, literally just went in every building to rob it the whole adventure. Like, I mean, for like, you guys are just traveling down the road, stopping at every inn and just, he was just housing the joint. So, hey, that's cool, man. That's your, that's your turn. I think that's the kind of experience you should expect from them, right? Because you're going to put them in an open world where you're where you're running it and let them do whatever they want to do, which means they might just wander around robbing houses all night. And that's you know? awesome. If that's because that's, if that's play, what, great. Yeah, if that's what's having them have fun, then then that's kind of the point, right? And this is also where improv DMing comes in, though, because I can, in that situation, I, like I've always run that kind of new game. I've always run as a total improv because I'm trying to kick it to them and yeah. then give them an adventure based on what they tell me they want to do, you know. And if they don't have anything, OK, I'll sweep them off into another adventure. That's not a big deal. I'll come up with something. But I want them to get that feeling of, OK, well, I started this. I initiated this. And mm. that I think helps. I think that helps helps it kind of dig in and helps them get the immersion. And the problem I run into with that though is if you have the new player who has no interest in telling you what they want to do, that's want to go along with the flow. Yeah. Which case should be Dave's plan of okay, good experience group to just bring them along on the flow. Someone else to it's it's whitewater rafting with the new guy. You put them in the center. Everyone else gets a paddle and gets you down the river. There are multiple avenues here that you can <laughs> utilize. You know, but it goes back to our thing. It's it's know your table. Even if your table is new, is brand brand new. One thing I want to get to, I mean, because we're, 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 we're getting on, we're getting along in the episode here. But one of the things Dave asked here that I think is really poignant is his wife is kind of shy mm. uh, and he's nervous. He doesn't like the idea that people might laugh at her. That's a hindrance. And he's worried about that, too. You know, because a player who's shy, you, you do have a couple tricky points to that. One is that if something goes wrong, they will tend to shut down, in my experience. So you do kind of need the kind of inflating uplifting kind of gaming experience you need positive experiences to build because one negative experience in that kind of situation with a sensitive shy kind of player is liable to knock them out of wanting to play again so do you guys have any advice for how to handle that well in those kind of situations uh i would point out that i have seen some of the most talented skill players of all time completely screw the pooch on something so if they're afraid that they're going to do something dumb or F something up or forget something, they're in good company. Because you know what? I mean, these days we're all in a fairly casual gaming session. Like me, even like if we were playing, you know, back in the day, then, you know, we had some harder core players who really knew their stuff and were into it. But they were also, of course, sympathetic to players who, you know, were learning the ropes because that's how they bring new people in. And I've also seen perfectly experienced players do some stuff that really I want to roll my eyes back into my head like seven times. But I keep it to myself. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, beep, beep, beep. Like, why are you doing beep? Like, I want to turn the thing off and, like, throw a chair. You know, turn the mo the this, the uh, camera off so you guys can't see that. I'm like, no, that was a great play. Good good job <laughs> with that. Thanks for thanks for using your initiative wisely. It's, it's like you're there covering your eyes. Like, I'm sorry, guys, we've got to hold on. I've literally sprained my eyeballs. I rolled them so hard. Give me a minute. Yeah. i got to put just, some ice on my eyes here. Just a slight aneurysm. It's no big deal. Just, it's, my, <laughs> it's my problem. It, it, it's me. It's not you. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, so that, and, and that does come up, right? Because, I mean, I've seen times uh, – actually, even you know that really tough encounter we talked about with the, with the plant garden, we talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago, where, the, where, where it seemed really tough to the party. Yeah. I know part of the reason it got so tough was because several players ran in and got caught, ambushed, and surrounded by the plants. Like, so, so like, that happens, right? I mean, and that could happen to a new player very time. easily. Yeah. All the time. And so, so I would even argue you probably want to try to make sure it doesn't happen. Give them nice, give them people they can pick off rather than surround them. You, you, you don't want to have a new player in the middle of, you know, 16 goblins trying to beat the brains in. Well, I, I don't, I would think that if you're running your first game with someone at first level, you might not have it to that, to that level. But uh, I know I wouldn't That's say, so. uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that you would. One, the the laughing. I haven't yet to see at any board game uh, session or RPG session anyone laughing at anyone. I have seen tons of laughing with people. So that that off the bat, I understand the the idea of shyness. Uh, we see that in all, every single one of our groups has some shy people and some people who are a little anxious in social situations and all of that. Okay. They're still enjoying themselves. They're still having fun and no one is laughing at them. I mean, there are times that we will laugh at Sir Morton, the paladin, but that's completely different and in character, but, uh, (laughs) but no, that's just a little jab at Tom. If he's listening, I haven't seen anybody laughing at anyone. It's a laughing with like any other, Really, I would really stress approaching D&D to demystify, approach it like any other game night session, whatever game you're playing. What other, what any other game you break open, there's always, you have to start learning, oh, what are the rules and wait, what can I do? But by the end of the night, you're laughing, you're having a great time, all of that. D&D is really no different, except it offers so many more options for that to occur. I think... Like, like, definitely. I mean, I, I agree with that. At the same time, though, one of the things you run into in those situations is the asymmetrical experience issue we've talked about before. Yeah. Where everyone else can be having a great time, but one of the players, maybe not even just one of the players, it's just everyone's experiencing the different game. Everyone's experiencing their own version of what we're of what we're doing. And like, so for example, we one of the players who dropped out of Woodstock Wanderers isn't coming back in part because she doesn't feel like she knows the rules and she feels like it makes it hard on everyone else. And she feels like she's like, she's behind everyone else because she doesn't know the rules, which if you've played in the game, you know, it's not a problem. There are still players <laughs> who, play whole time who don't know the rules. That know? is not true. Come on. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, but why would you call Tony out like that? He's literally sitting right there. Come on. Terrible. You know, Erasmus, you know, fireballs don't do that. We can't bounce lightning bolts off walls in fifth edition. They used to. I know. God, I missed that. But but so that's the thing. We have have perhaps the most accepting table I've ever been a part of, and we still had a player who, in that experience, came out of it feeling like, "Eh, I don't, I I don't want to hold people back, and I don't fucking know it that well, and I'm just, you know, so like. It can feel that way and still have the one player and still have one or several players. It's just the asymmetrical experience. We're all experiencing something different that still has that. And I do know one of the things we, that came up when we were talking to Jen about starting a game, but she did mention like that that was a worry for her, that she didn't know if we would want to play with a new player because she might slow the game down or somehow ruin the game. So, so this perfectly this, experienced players can drag the shit out of a game like, <laughs> at a professional level. Like, oh my, like time for a monologue. Like, oh God, so I'm in the bathroom. I think, that's absolutely true. I think that leads into an excellent 
point, which is how would each of us approach it as the DM, understanding that what are some of the things when you're sitting down at the table running the adventure that you're looking to do? Uh, really, I'm looking to yeah, just have a game. The first one, yeah, we're talking about we're looking to put some points on the board. The player exits this game having a general understanding about their character. They had fun. They did things. They do it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, are really all these other things super complicated? The Thorns point? No, they're, they're, or, I mean, they can be, but they're not super important as much as that experience. Uh, why did I start her looking at the character sheet and all those things? Because, you know, traditionally, where do you start playing D&D? Well, with a character sheet. I think for me, if I'm doing this with like a new player who I have concerns with, that they're going to feel that way. I would probably try to get back to that old school. You tell me what you want to do. I tell you what to roll version of D&D. So they don't need to worry as much about their powers and what's on their sheet. They can get more into the game itself. And then it doesn't feel like anyone's slowing things down because they don't know what they're doing. You know, once you get into combat, it's a little different. If they're a spellcaster, they're going to need to know some some spells. But you try to make it simple. And first level is still fairly simple for most characters, especially if you got them to like a sorcerer or a warlock instead of a wizard. Um, but trying, the more you can make it a game where it's, they're just responding to you rather than having to know and know already what they should be doing. I think the more you can mitigate that risk of them feeling like they're slowing the game down. So that's one thing I might try to do. And it's one thing when I look back at Woodstock Wanderers, the way we started, I wish I had done more of. It was a big game, so it's hard to do because it does slow the game down a little bit. That's maybe better for a four, three or four player game than like a seven player game like we started with. Mm. Um, Because we started Woodstock Wanderers. One, we were all learning the system, so it had to be more technical because I was learning it too because I didn't know what to roll. Two, there were so many players that I'm I'm asking other players to mentor the new players, and people are doing that. But it makes it harder to do this really hand-holding style just because there's so many people in the game. Because you got to keep things moving, too, because dead time will also derail it for someone who's kind of new in the game. So it might be a little better to be a smaller group, not tiny. So you can kind of give them them that kind of hand-holding. But if you can just tell them what they need to do, ask them what they want to do, tell them what they need to do to, to, to try to do that, and then tell them what happens, that is something I think that almost anyone can get into. And that way you're not making them feel awkward because they don't know what their sheet means yet. And you can kind of take some games then to teach them their sheet that way. Uh, so I would probably try to do that. And I'm, I think one thing I'm cognizant of now that I maybe wouldn't have been before is I would try to give them more positive experiences. Because I think we're talking about a new player who might not like the game. You want to stack positive experiences. And so you don't want them to have the negative experience. You want them, you want to stack kind of positive stuff so they feel excited playing the game and they come to a good conclusion. At the same time, you're going to need to identify what for them is positive. Because I've had new players who are that interested who are like, oh, killing a goblin is not that big a deal to me. You know, so you kind of got to figure out what's positive to them and stack it. Where you're saying you don't want to do like the D&D experiences like we first had. Like, okay, I'm going to start off. I have three hit points and nine armor class. I walk into this first room out here and uh, you're shot with an arrow and you're down. Because that's how I remember gaming back in the day. I will say I pioneered. like, Like When I was teaching new players, I started them off at third level with max hit points for every level. (laughs) <laughs> that was one of the rules I had when I was start when I when I was teaching new players for exactly that reason, like max you, third level and you got max hit points for every level, so you were at your max you can be at. So I'm not going to accidentally kill you because it's going to be hard enough not to kill you on purpose. <laughs> that's one of the nice things with five E is that's a lot harder to do. I mean, you can still do it, but it, you, uh, can, you can, can still mitigate. knock out a seven hit point wizard. It's not that hard. <laughs> you can you can mitigate it a little bit, but yeah, Thorn, I I agree. I think starting if you can it's not always possible it wasn't possible with woodstock so yeah, uh, it also wasn't completely open 
Yeah, it wasn't. You know, so you don't know. But a smaller group for something like that uh, is a great idea because it allows for everyone to have their time to speak. No one feels overrun. Everyone is is kind of equal voiced, which definitely starts to decrease as you as you go past four. I would definitely take a page from Tony's book and I would weave a bit of a story to begin with, because even when we were rolling out characters and I would say, where are you from or who are you? And you literally get that deer in headlights because Thorne, like you said, they don't want to get something wrong, you know, or they don't want to. They don't want to choose something that they think is maybe not the best choice, right? Everyone's going to have that kind of sense, especially with something new. So by putting them on some rails to begin with, start out with some of the story and put them on the road or put them in front of in the town or in the town or wherever they are and start it there. And then you drop the what do you want to do? And then you can start playing in the thing. But you you build this world out first, partly, I think, to show this is what the game, because you're showing them as the DM, this is what the game can do. I'm doing it, as Thorne says, with the world. And now what do you want to do? I have now set this game board and now game on. Let's see, you know. And generally speaking, I've seen people react pretty positively to that <laughs> revisiting the second part of my point there about uh, not feeling uh smart or people laughing at you because you don't know the rules or slowing the game down or in your case dave you're talking about the backstory i've watched yeah. dms completely goof on a backstory where i'm like what like no my character doesn't do that like what are you talking about <laughs> and like it totally caught me off guard it's happened in multiple games and these are like 11 12 like you just found out hawk worship four like that was a big surprise <laughs> like, it was it was it never really came up before that nor was it in your bachelor you sent me so i mean you know it happens uh, does his prayers know. every day who do you think he was praying to <laughs> i don't know the nine million gods in the pantheon of D D history and, and, and <laughs> The Christmas game, I, when I met Odin, I'm like, hey, I worship your son. You're like, oh, that's cool. And I, he's the, he doesn't have a cross around his neck like Hulk Hogan would. It's the hammer of Thor. That's there what he has. There you go. All right. Uh, or, or like your brother thought uh, Felix was in college. And I'm like, no, he's in high school. Felix, <laughs> high school kid. Yeah, absolutely. I think he visited a college at one point in the early games. Yeah, maybe he flew past one. He's never been to college. No. <laughs> oh. He didn't hit NYU when we were in New York. I thought he did. Uh, yeah, maybe we were on campus right. for like eight minutes and fought some cannibalistic <laughs> robots. Oh, no, wait, that was invincible. All right, never mind. It happens. But yeah, details get botched. So seriously, don't hold them too seriously, and we can all laugh about it. One thing I'll also throw out there, and actually building on point you said, Dave, so building the world ahead of time, um, one thing I think is probably worth doing is trying to get a read or straight out asking that player what sorts of things do they want to see in the game. Because we're talking about players here who, who, as we've talked about, may not have the background we have. They may not have seen Lord of the Rings, I mean, let alone write it when they were six. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, these things aren't, aren't inborn to them. And one of the things you have with that is the things we think pay off may not pay off to them. So asking and figuring out, okay, so what kind of story beats is this person going to be excited for? What kind of events are going to make them feel like it pays off? Like I mentioned, a lot of times, like so with Shannon, Shannon plays a barbarian and she does enjoy when she's having a combat and she kills some things. 
So he likes that. I've had other players who wouldn't care, who would have rather handled combat a different way or avoided it or something else. Like you need to identify not just not just how that, that you're going to have wins, but what is a win to them? And then also what is the story beat they want to see and work that into the story? You know, because you might take this one of these players, and introduce them to a to a to a dragon. Maybe you know, this is so cool. There's a dragon under the city. He's actually ruling things and he's talked to you and you are going to be he's asking you to be his personal valet and run errands for him and do his business about the city. And they might be like, why would I want to do that? That doesn't seem cool. I don't want to work for a dragon. Like, you know, there could be that kind of that clash of what you expect. That happens. Yeah. I also that would happens. not like that. I would not agree to that either myself. I would not be the You would work for a dragon. No. I would totally not do that. I would not. No. I will fight that dragon. Even oh. a gold dragon? I will fight him or her. Okay, so hold on. Beam is literally worshipping the platinum dragon. This doesn't track. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. No. <laughs> I had a character out of guy in my campaign who uh, I introduced who I thought was this really cool mentor for him. I think I mentioned this in another podcast and he hated it. It's like, why is this guy making me do stuff and learn things? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that and up. Yeah. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You found this magic sword in a dungeon and it's at the spirit of this elven blade singer in there. So you basically got the high elf version of Batman to train you. You're like, what? This guy's such a pain in the ass. He's always <laughs> bothering me. I'm like, I can't. Wait, uh, that's even happened with experienced players. There's been times when I've kicked back a, a, a story point or something. So I'm like, that's not what my character does. You know, so imagine them who doesn't have that background. Like, it's just hard. You kind of got to know, you kind of got to load the deck in your favor in that case, I think. Well, I think to the Thorns point, uh, all, I mean, really knowing what all of your players want to see in the game is kind of like one of the keys to success. In really any game, I guess, not just for new players. Like, I want to see wrestling in most of the games. I mean, you know, I want to see. <laughs> even, when, even when wrestling is not involved, I want wrestling. Yeah, I, I want to We've see. We've made the rules. Hit, we got to use them. I want to see <laughs> someone get hit by a steel now. chair. Even if it really doesn't fit the story whatsoever. I wonder if Chris will be okay if I decide to have my GIF also proficient in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, probably, you're already. A, you're I feel already like Teddy time. Roosevelt was probably a good wrestler in college. He was a boxer, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah pugilist. Yeah. Yes, Teddy Did you uh, have you looked up that write-up yet? It doesn't get a ton, but they do get plus. They do get the reroll ones on melee attacks. But you weigh a ton. You do that too. Actually, yeah, no, I, I looked a fight. little on, on him. Yeah, you get a you get a good amount of stuff. No, you get um, you're still medium, but like you're you can carry you know extra and things well, like that. You're medium, but you get the Goliath ability that lets you carry stuff. But I mean, yeah. Goliath had that. Bugbears have that. Like it's over. But you get it's, it's no, you get several things. Uh, as the it's pretty cool. You know, you get, the, you get the swim speed equal to your walking speed. Uh-huh. And like once per turn, you can reroll a one on a damage roll, which is pretty good. Um, but it's only melee that kind of like i want to use because you want to use them as a pistol tier and you can only uh reroll melee damage okay okay so just in general do we have anything else we want to go over here before we go to final thoughts well i mean also that of course it kind of goes without saying but you'd hope that you know you're you've got the right uh group of people who uh you know would support the new player they are a new player themselves and uh i think that would go a long way of creating a welcoming, inclusive environment to somebody who's not too sure about this, but you want to say, like, hey, you can have a piece of the table, too. You know, that's a good point, because one of the things that keeps people in the game is that they're playing with people they want to play with. Yeah. No, I mean, if you really 
there is something to be said about having a player who bounces off other players, who has chemistry, who the whole dynamic. God forbid if the whole party had a dynamic, like that's crazy. You'd have like the Star <laughs> Trek cast in your ha- hands or something like that. And that's really true magic. But it, it happens once in a blue moon. And these characters think? kind of push each other to be better. All right, guys. So uh, we've been talking for a bit here, going going pretty deep on this. What are the final thoughts you have on introducing new players who who are maybe not not super super down for it, maybe not uh, not super committed to D and D? Well, I would keep it as simple as possible. Look for the things that they want to do that are fun. Not get lost in some of the minutia surrounding things like you know that could easily drive them away, like alignment. <laughs> but <laughs> You know, and if they're asking, like, what's my Explorers pack, maybe that's a point of interest. And we're talking about things that, uh, you know, might, uh, they might be interested to try in the first game. And as Thorne said, if you could find something, that, like, the notes that they want to hit there and give them a chance to, could be part of the way to make this go forward. So they're like, hey, I want to come back again. Yeah, great points. Yes, of course, you want to keep it as simple as possible. I would say you want to try to do, like Tony said in the beginning, uh, find that point of reference, both for who they like as character ideas, but also the types of adventures or the types of stories that they interest them. There is the debate between doing pre-gens versus rolling out characters. There are arguments on both sides, especially for something like this, uh, especially if it's like a one-shot because you're just introducing somebody, you don't know where it's going to go. I would try to keep the, keep the group small, if you can, four players, and have some, have a mix. Try to have some people that might might know the game and can lend a hand, as it were, especially with some of the role-playing. I would treat it like any other game night. Don't put too much pressure on yourself to try to create this amazing experience that will forever change them and turn them into an RPG nut, because you'll probably fail if you do that, because you're going to be overthinking it. Because none of us had that experience that was this amazing, awe-inspiring. We just really enjoyed it. It was fun. There was something about it that made us want to keep doing it. So in that way, the one thing that we didn't talk about is my also final thought is that take the pressure off yourself because the person might not be into RPGs. It's okay. That's impossible. Blasphema. You want them to, of course, we want people, especially loved ones, to be supportive and, and enjoy the things that we enjoy. It doesn't always happen. So if you have the capacity to introduce them to it, do it in a way that's fun. Do it in a way that might connect with them and try to have fun with it. Yeah, definitely. So I guess to build on that a little bit here, you know, I'm thinking about like what kind of things can you throw in here? Uh, and Dave is totally right. Both on the one, you could be introducing someone who's not a D&D player, not a role-playing gamer at all. I tried to teach role-playing games to my brother and my dad. I was about 12. He was 10. Dad was dad. They both hated them. <laughs> but I was trying to get them to play Keep on the Borderlands, trying to tell them what to do. I'm trying to learn the game. No dice. No interest. To this day, my brother would never try anything. Unlike Dave's family, where everyone's, game, where everyone's into it. Nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> the McGee household, I was I was the, the, the lone guy out there. Um, so that happens, right? And be prepared for that. It's okay. You know, it's it's it might not just not be in the cards. I think one way you can load the deck is to, you know, building on some of the things I've said here, try to think about things that they're going to enjoy and throw them in. You know, like I said, with uh, with 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 my wife's character, see for the Dazzler, she kind of likes shiny things. She likes Goldberg. She likes the idea that there's this barbarian who likes shiny shinies. And 
that is something I've leaned into a little bit. She has like Helm of Radiance, you know, things like that. I've leaned into that. They're kind of cool and play into the things she likes about her character. If you have someone who really likes, you know, if you're trying to introduce your wife and she really likes makeup and clothing, maybe make some like save, like like low level magic item stuff she can have or something like throw in stuff that maybe feeds the things they like and you can kind of load the deck in your favor i think and that's in addition to kind of figuring out where the story beats they might like to see and planning some of that in um and yeah i just kind of come back to you know my biggest final thought is my experience is when i'm trying to teach new players the game the more i can teach them about how to role play and the less i can teach them about how to about the mechanics the better it generally goes. Because role-playing is independently fun, whereas the mechanical stuff is really only fun to, 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 to us gamers. <laughs> Maybe not only fun, but look, I mean, we're in this hobby because we dig the mechanics. We've all done other stuff where we've kind of done min-maxing and stuff. For someone who's not in that space, I think the role-playing is your better end. And I think I would start there and build from there. On a final postscript to that, Lauren, you said something made me think of it. One of the things that you can do to lean into this, especially on the role-playing side and not the mechanics side, now, you don't want to go crazy with it, right? Because you don't want to set too many precedents, but really lean into the rule of cool, you know? Really do the, what do you want to do? And they have some wacky thought or idea or concept or plan. Let them yeah. do it. And maybe let them do it and let it kind of succeed or at least put the, you know, front load it that maybe it has a better chance of succeeding. Because when that happens, I remember real quick, one of Bonnie's nephews was in a game he always wanted to play had never played before built a character kind of like link from zelda uh so an archer and all this and at one point there he's little he's a little tiny little gnome person and they're in a hallway everyone's tall he can't get to him he was like i want to jump up bounce off the wall flip around shoot the arrow and then come down i was like all right give me this 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 and he hit the rolls and you could see the moment when he went oh this is awesome <laughs> You know, so lean into some of the rule of cool, too. Anyway, that's yeah. it. It's like, well, there's that meme on Facebook. There's several of these memes on Facebook that are like, I taught my daughters how to play D&D, and instead of killing the wolves, they made friends with them. Now they have a pack of wolves. Girls, man, they'll take over the world. Like, yeah. That's an example of letting the player play the game the way they want to play it. And that's, I think, what you want to do with a new player, because you don't want to force them to come to the game and play it the way you play it. You want to see how they want to play it, and you want to learn from that, too. That is a great growth experience for a DM. You know, how do you level up as a DM? The more you play with players who are playing a different way and you kind of pick that up and learn how and learn, like, not just what they like, but what do you learn? What can you add to your toolbox as a DM for everything? That is one of the ways you advance and, and get better at DMing. So lean into them. Point. You know, let great them point. teach you how this game can be played because you'll learn stuff you won't learn any other way. There you go. Great point. All right, guys, it's been a lot of fun talking about this. And uh, Tony, we can't wait to uh, try not to ruin this for you. <laughs> Absolutely no pressure, gentlemen. No <laughs> pressure. <laughs> Dave from home who sent us this, this message. Thank you very much. This is a great question. Wish you a lot of luck getting your, your wife to like the game. Hope it works for you. We hope we gave you some good ideas for that. And anyone else, because we all go through that where it's like, man, I can't wait to teach you my favorite game. And now it becomes this hanging point thing. <laughs> Will they like it or not? Oh, no. You know, so, so hopefully this helps you. Hopefully, you can Dave, uh, this Dave who wrote in can reach our Dave, and he can DM a uh, virtual session for him to smooth this out. Whoa, Jesus. <laughs> Man, Tony writing yeah, checks for other DMs. Let's build the relationship from, uh, from our home. <laughs> Virtually. <laughs> 
That would be awesome, though. It would be a lot of fun. Uh, maybe something for the Patreon. Maybe there's a Patreon level where you can get a th- one of the three wise DMs to DM a game for you. Oh, I don't know, guys. Hey, hey, well, now we're talking a different thing. Yeah, uh, nobody wants one of my one-shot uh, simple plots. <laughs> dude, everyone wants one of your one-shots. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, Dave, thank you very much for sending that in, guys. Thank you very much. And for all of you listening from home, thanks a lot for joining us again for another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you have your own question you'd like to hear us answer, please send it into threewisedms at gmail.com. Go to our website, threewisedms.com, enter it in the What's Your Problem field. Those are for problems you'd like us to address, not, you know, the, hey, what's your problem? Um, or you can talk to us on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram. We're very active in all those channels. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about. If you like what you're hearing, please smash that five-star rating button and podcast platform we're listening on. Leave us a review. That really helps us grow. We've been growing really fast and we appreciate all the help you've given us in doing it. We'll see you next week on Free Wise DMs. Mm-hmm.